0: Thank you, TJ. Good morning. That was a beautiful song. It's a favorite of mine, actually. Well, the last two Sundays we've been together, we looked at uh, our Savior is promised from Micah, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and then our Savior is sent from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. And then this morning... We're going to look at our Savior is born from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And I'd like to read it to us this morning. In those days, a decree went out from Kaiser or Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. That would be all the Roman world. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Have you held a newborn baby? Have you done it lately? It, it's, a, it's really a very special thing. I remember our firstborn child. I felt the same way about both both children, you know, so don't. But the firstborn, um, it was the night that uh, Shelly came home, and uh, I got up with the baby, and I sat in. The living room with just a warm light, and I held the baby, and the baby slept, and I talked to the baby, and then I, uh, I started crying. I started weeping, almost uncontrollably for a bit. I felt so old and stained and coarse and hard next to that newborn baby. Because newborn babies are really new. And they're pure. And they're delicate. And they're almost helpless. This week, as I was reflecting on the birth of Jesus Christ, I tried to focus on the child, on the baby, and these thoughts came back to me. But with them, just a new appreciation that a newborn child stirs hope within us. A newborn child softens resentment. A newborn child makes tired eyes, old eyes, every kind of eyes smile. A newborn even unites people. You know, they they gather around it. Everybody wants to see it and hold it. And in the midst, there's joy, a shared joy a shared experience it's really a remarkable thing i hope you've experienced it i hope you experience it again soon i hope you think about it at christmas because that's what we're celebrating and more importantly and rather exciting to me is that a newborn the new a newborn is really the face of the gospel. It's, you know how we talk about a poster child? It's, it's the face. It's the poster child. It's the symbol. It's the emblem of the gospel. And maybe gospel sounds like a tired word to you, but it is not. It means good news. So if I said the child is an emblem of good news. And all the things that you think about when you think of a newborn, you know, that purity, that, that delicacy, that, that is really what the gospel is all about. It's about new life. It's about new life. It's so much about new life that Jesus said you must be born again. Maybe that's why a child is just the perfect emblem as well as the perfect reality of what God has done in Jesus Christ our Savior. Today, this, this Christmas Sunday, we the songs, the scripture, it all causes us to look at the child. I I encourage us to do that throughout the day, throughout tomorrow, throughout the next day, and even beyond, to kind of uh, collect these things in your heart and ponder them. In fact, uh, so many songs that we sing tell us, come and worship, come and worship. Worship Christ, the newborn King. Or, Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared, and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new glorious morn. Fall on your knees, Oh, hear the angels' voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night when Christ was born. Oh, night. Oh, holy night. Oh, night divine. Come and behold him. Let us adore him. Indeed, come. Let us worship the child of God's saving love. Come and worship where long lay the world in sin. These are words that make up some of our cherished hymns, uh, carols, uh, songs that we sing to express our worship. But it's so important, and I, I'm reminded of this every time I go into a grocery store. Can you advance that slide for me, please? Thanks. Um, every time I go into a grocery store to get a, uh, a birthday card or a Valentine card or a card to express a sentiment of my heart, I just, I, I don't know, I've, I think of, I think of a person bent over a drafting board. Uh, in an office space, uh, working hard to earn his or her paycheck, uh, to come up with some new way of expressing a sentiment for me and for you. And that isn't very sentimental, is it? I mean, it's like, wow, you. how do you forge these things that end up being what you hope will bring tears to the eyes of the person that you give it to, or joy, or love, or something like that. And, and I just want you to remember that these, these hymns, these carols, these songs that we sang this morning, they were not forged in a situation like that. They are not Hallmark-produced. They begin as poetry of the heart. A person works to express uh, their love of the Lord for what He's done in Jesus Christ, or what they see and what it means to them, and what it causes him or her to feel. And it's expressed in poetry, and it's adorned with music. Come and worship. Come and behold him. Come, let us adore him. These are the words that can also express our worship this morning as we worship the child of God's saving love. His birth is the story of our Savior's poverty. Poverty. And that's a surprise. I want us to hear that part of the story so that we can treasure these things in our hearts and ponder them and worship the Lord that has given his life, his love to us. It's also the story of our Savior's humility and that is a sign that we need to see in this story. It's a sign of his great love And then we need to see it as the story of our Savior's nativity. You see, there's new birth in his poverty because his poverty reveals his grace. And there's new birth in his humility because there is love revealed in humility. And there's new birth in his nativity because his nativity reveals that there's new birth in Jesus Christ. And that's what we celebrate, new birth. I think it's an understatement that he was born into poverty. I think that is something that we kind of pass over and don't fully appreciate. Poverty is not a disguise. It's not the prince dressed as a pauper here. Jesus is born to a family that was poor and not rich, poorer than us. But it's worthy of our worship to think of one so great, majestic, in comparison to us. Who joins us at the bottom? One who includes the least, the lost, and the last. In fact, Jesus said to his, you know, (laughs) he doesn't leave this behind. He says to his own disciples, and he mentions to them the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger the naked, the sick, those who are in prison. He says, as you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. I wonder what Mary might have thought when she laid Jesus down to sleep that first time. You know, the angel, the angel of the Lord, we're told in the first chapter of Luke. The the angel who self-identifies as the angel who stands in the presence of God. He identifies his name. He is Gabriel. He comes to Mary, and this is what he tells her. You will name him Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. The child to be born will be holy. He will be called the son of God. And then she laid him in a a crib. A crib that was used by animals for feeding. We know it as a manger or a feeding trough. That's poverty, folks. That's the life of a have-not. We know that some of it was because there was no room. You see, at the same time he was born in those lowly, impoverished conditions, they were there, we are told in the first three verses, they were there because of one man, a great man, a mighty man, probably the most important in terms of significance and powerful in terms of impact Upon the entire Roman world, he was called the emperor. He was called Augustus Caesar, which was an honorific name, Augustus. August one. They were there because he leveled a decree. He wanted his entire empire counted. So everyone had to go back to the home of their beginnings. People were brought to Bethlehem where David was born, his house, the house of bread, is Bethlehem. And they were there because of his decree, or so it seems. And yet Micah, the prophet, says, no, it wasn't because of Augustus. It was because of God's preordained plan, because the Messiah will be born there. And it's because of that that Augustus will call for a decree that all of the people should return to their homes, because he prophesied that the Prince of Peace would be born in Bethlehem. An amazing contrast. We don't lose sight of it, even though Caesar Augustus, and we know this from inscriptions, that they celebrated his birthday every year with great fanfare. The birth of the Son of God, they etched everywhere. They heralded everywhere. He who is the author of the, not the Prince of Peace, but the Pax. Romana, the peace of Rome, and yet in this backwater little town, Bethlehem, the angels herald the birth of the Prince of Peace, the Messiah, the King of Judah, an eternal kingdom, the Son of God among us, Emmanuel. I've been to Bethlehem. It's still small. It's still a distance from Jerusalem, kind of in its shadow. It's in the uh, occupied territory now, was when we visited. So we got on a bus. We crossed over on a bus driven by a designated driver went to a checkpoint. When the bus stopped on the other side, men got on with high-powered automatic guns and walked the aisle, looking at everybody to make sure everything was copacetic, that it was safe, that, that it would be peaceful. It seemed so ironic to me that the place of the Prince of Peace the birth of David and the birth of his, his heir should be a place of anything but peace. We need peace. We don't even know that kind of tension, divisiveness. We know it on the streets, the way people drive, the way people gesture, the way people talk to one another. It goes all the way to the top, all the way to the top, sadly, painfully. Painfully. There's no peace. There's law. There's control. But there's no real peace. The peace that Jesus offers is something that no one else will ever make available. His birth is the story of our Savior's poverty because God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. It was God's plan. In fact, Paul said it was his grace at work. He said, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you by his poverty could become rich. That's grace. It wasn't dumb luck. It wasn't that he didn't catch a break. It was divine design. It was divine design when the fullness of time had come, as Paul said in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. The fullness of time had come. Do you know what the fullness of time looks like? I don't really know either. I mean, it's kind of probably like the center of time, the middle of time, the place to be. It's when everything is changed for the better. It's, It's that moment when something highly significant happens, and Paul says it was... At this time, the middle of history, the moment when everything changed and would never be the same, it was then that God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to liberate us from its yoke that we might become His adopted children with a birthright. Wow, that's a beautiful thing. We really ought to fall on our knees we really ought to bow and worship him, that he has done this for us. This is what our Christmas, of all that it should be, this should be among those things that are most important. His birth is a story of our Savior's humility, and that's a sign. You may remember Prince George. It's interesting to me because um, See, I, I've had this kind of affinity with uh, Prince William. When he was born, he was born two weeks after my son. So, you know, um, I think about him. I watch him grow up. I see him get married. I see his, him have his first son. Of course, he didn't know a thing about me. But that's the thing with kings and queens and uh, dukes. And when his first son, George, was born, I I really took notice of that. He was born July 22nd, 2013. And the news rang like church bells. In fact, church bells actually did ring around the world, certainly across across those realms of the British Commonwealth. And 21-gun salutes in all important places around the world. Twenty-one gun salutes with uh, important monuments and spires and churches. You know, the hallmarks of advanced civilization being lit up with bright colors. Born on that day, Prince George His Highness of Cambridge, His Royal Highness. You see, um, on that day, Jesus was similarly celebrated by a vast angelic army. It really is. It says the heavenly host, but whenever you hear host, that's not a cracker. Um, That's not someone that's, uh, you know, provided dinner the host happens to be an army. And so there is this vast revelation of angels who begin to sing and praise God at the birth announcement. And it wasn't a 21-gun salute, and it wasn't all across the Commonwealth, and it wasn't even picked up on stations all around the world through social media. It was to... Um, an audience of a few shepherds. Shepherds because of their proximity to Bethlehem. And they're given the message. Who has been born? Notice it says, your Savior. That's why they're told, your Savior. The Savior of shepherds. Yes, it has a lot to do, I think, with the prophecy that he is going to be a great shepherd, our great shepherd as well. but he is, a sh- he is the savior of each and every person, even low-class, just, you know basic, hard-working shepherds, the good people of the earth. and they are terrified. It actually says that. It says they are very afraid. And I imagine they're perplexed, and um, I imagine that they're a bit hesitant about this, probably maybe stepping back a little if there's any place to escape. And the angel immediately calms them and says, Listen carefully, for I proclaim to you good news. And then after telling him who's being born in Bethlehem, Bethlehem, he says this, the angel says this, this will be a sign for you. Now, we live in a world of signs today. You know, if you go into the back country and you take off through wilderness, you will see no signs. And do you know What? Every day, you will probably see no signs as well because we're so accustomed to them. We so depend on them. And every sign wants your attention. Every sign wants to tell you something. Every sign wants you to look at it and do what it tells you. And so it is with this sign. But we gloss right over it, and yet it's the most important word in this passage to my mind. This is what he says This is the sign, you see. Okay, when you read the sign, what is the sign pointing to? What is the sign telling us? And this is what it tells us. You'll find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth, lying in a feeding crib, in a manger, a trough for animals. You see, we're supposed to look at that and see the importance of that. That Almighty God lowered himself, humbled himself. Just like poverty reveals his grace, his generosity, the fact that nobody's, you know, out of bounds or beyond reach. Everybody can buy this because the price is right. You see? And in the same way, humility tells us that God loves us because humility makes us equal in love. It gets down so low, you see, it removes all barriers. That's what humility does. Humility is an act that paves the way for love. If love is relationship, humility brings people together, people who are of all kinds of differences, whether it's financial, educational, whether it's looks or not. You know, humility says, I'm interested in you, and there's nothing in the way. I'm removing each, every, and all barriers. God's waiting for us. He couldn't get any lower. He couldn't be any more humble. But don't miss it. It's not about trying to be humble. Humility comes with love. If you want to be humble, then you start loving like Jesus loved us, like God loved us in Jesus and through Jesus, all the way from the crib to the cross. And most importantly, it's important to realize that his birth is the story of our Savior's nativity, the Prince of Peace, because there is new birth in Jesus. He is not just the nativity. He is our nativity. He is the, the all. And, you know, in the sweetest way, when you think about the grace and the love, And when you hold the child and you realize what it does to you, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm drawing on those experiences. I still feel it when I pick up a newborn. And I want you to realize what a profound experience that is, especially when you use that child to see what God in Christ has done for you how it does bring hope, how it does express grace, how it does just bring down and wash away and cause to fade all the things that seem so important because there's, there's everything, so to speak, that we treasure in a child. And you know why we treasure it in the first place? Because God's our creator, and everything that he's put in our heart to desire and dream and want, he's given us in full in Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And we'll experience it. We experience his fruit in our lives. The fruit of love, joy, joy peace and the list goes on from galatians chapter 5 verses 22 23 the fruit of the spirit is the fruit of christ in your life listen to those first three words again love joy peace i don't know who you are or where you've come from, where you're going, how much you have, how much you don't, I assure you around the world, those three things are what everybody craves, everyone desires, everybody wants, but you'll experience it in Jesus Christ. You who know him, let us respond in the days we have left and on Christmas Day to respond as they did with wonder and amazement as Mary did, as she treasured up, stored up these things in her heart and then pondered them. We should ponder them around, not just now, but around the clock from time to time to pull them to mind and back to our hearts. Think about them. And the shepherds, they glorified, it says. They praised as they made their way home. That means they elevated his reputation in their minds and gave him recognition through praise. And that's a beautiful thing. I think they might have been singing. I think we ought to finish with a song and we don't have a special song, so I'm gonna lead us in a song. Will you stand with me? I think we sang it earlier, didn't we? Because it's one that I know pretty well. I'm not great on lyrics, so you help me, okay? you sing with me? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart Prepare him room. Heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. Mm. Thank you for singing that with me. Thank you for worshiping with me. Let's continue to worship the Lord as we approach Christmas morning when we celebrate his birth. And let's be loving and gracious, humble, and let's let's spread the life of Jesus Christ. Merry Christmas to you god bless you i hope you'll join us on christmas eve we're going to have a wonderful time of worship together may the lord bless you amen